0: This week's episode of On The Ledge is supported by IndoorGardenWorks.com and the iHarvest Indoor Garden. The iHarvest is a beautiful indoor garden that allows you to grow 30 fresh fruits and vegetables 30% faster and bigger than traditional gardening while in the comfort of your own home. Needing just two and a half square feet of floor space, the iHarvest fits in even the smallest apartments and condos while doubling as a work of art for your living space. This clean and beautiful hydroponic garden is great for growing farm-fresh produce all year round, And it's great for the environment as well, requiring 90% less water than traditional gardening and 60% fewer fertilisers than the fruits and veggies you'd otherwise buy at the supermarket. Better yet, you and your family can be eating pesticide-free, herbicide-free and GMO-free produce all year long. Add greenery and fresh food to your life this winter by pre-ordering your iHarvest now at IndoorGardenWorks.com And welcome to On the Ledge Podcast. I am your host, Jane Perone, and welcome to an award-winning podcast. Yes, on the ledge, Scoot, the gold award in the podcast talent category at the Garden Com Media Awards in Salt Lake City over the weekend. Safe to say, I'm cock-a-hoop at the news, and it feels like a real validation of all the hard work I've put into the podcast in the past two years. But it's really all down to you, the listeners, who make this show such a delight to make. So thank you, everyone. Right, quick, let's get on with the show before I go all Lady Gaga on you and start crying. This week's show is a Q&A special, so if you've sent me a question, listen out, because I could be about to solve all your problems. I mean, maybe not all your problems. No, I don't know how to reset your iPhone or what that strange rattling is in your car. But if it's plant related, I'll do my best to help. Just before we get started, a quick shout out to my three new Patreon subscribers this week, Andrea and Sarah, who have both become legends, and Sonia who's become a crazy plant person. Thanks very much to them for supporting this show with their hard-earned moolah. Find out how to support On The Ledge in many different ways, financial and otherwise, in my show notes at janeperone.com. One of the ways you can support On The Ledge is by leaving a lovely review on your pod app of choice, which is exactly what the tango nerdy did. I won't read out the whole thing because it is rather long, but I particularly love the line, I look forward every week to each new episode and I will continue to be a dedicated listener until my green thumb falls off. Well, let's hope that doesn't happen, the tango nerdy. And I mean, I can't imagine the circumstances under which that would occur, but uh, yeah, fingers crossed, well, thumbs crossed that your thumbs stay intact for a very long time to come. So please do follow the Tango Nerdy's example and leave me a review on iTunes. Tell your friends about the show and generally spread the word about On The Ledge. And I've heard this week from Jane Davis, who is founder and director of The Reader at Calderstone's Mansion in Liverpool. And It's been relaunched as the International Centre for Shared Reading. Well, I do love a good book, so I am fully behind this project and as a big house plant grower herself jane is looking to fill the mansion with lots and lots of plants so if you have got any cuttings that you could donate and you happen to be in the uk so they're easy enough to post then i will post some details in the show notes about how you can get your donations of cuttings to green up the international center for shared reading uh do go and check that out (coughs) Let's get going on the Q&A and Ryan from Chicago in the US wants to know what to do with spent potting mix. The kind that you get as a result of, well, dead plants. Let's uh, not beat around the very much dead bush here. This got me wondering this question because I don't have a lot of, well, if you could see me doing air quotes around the word spent, Spent compost that is produced from my houseplants. So I was wondering where all this used potting mix was coming from and I questioned Ryan further and I got a reply back. And he's a little bit sheepish here, I guess. He said, I think you're on to a couple of bad practices. First, we have collected a lot of pots and dead plants, which is the source of most of the excess soil I have now. Well, as I've said before on the show, Ryan, there is no shame to killing houseplants. This is part of your houseplant grower journey. It's okay. We all kill plants and we will figure out what to do with that spent compost. But Ryan also says that he thinks he's been removing too much soil from the root ball when repotting. Now, this is an interesting one. When you're repotting a plant, generally speaking, unless the potting soil that you're using is very wrong for the plant, then usually you'd leave the root ball pretty much intact. You might tease out some of the roots if it's particularly root bound, just to make sure they aren't going to grow back on themselves again and they're going to spread out into the new potting mix. But generally speaking, I wouldn't knock all of the compost or rather potting mix off the root ball because... There's not really any necessity to do so. However, what I would do is make sure that I aerated that root ball quite vigorously before I repotted. What does that mean? Well, it means you're getting more air to those roots which may be suffering from compaction because the old potting mix has just kind of slumped down. So reintroducing air is important. And I would generally do that using something like a chopstick or depending on the size of the roots, it would depend on the size of the tool I'd be using. Anything from a very thin knitting needle up to a chopstick, up to a bamboo stick, digging that into the root ball to make sure I'm, I'm doing a digging, I'm doing a poking motion with my hands, which obviously you can't see. But anyway, you get the idea in goes the stick and that brings air into that root ball. But I wouldn't generally be removing all the soil from the root ball unless it was wrong. So for example, if I bought a cactus or a succulent and I realised that it had been put in something very claggy and not very free draining, that might make me tap, tap, tap on the side of a potting tray and allow all of that potting mix to fall off before I repotted because I would know that that's going to damage the plant if it keeps uh, surrounding the roots and stopping them from draining properly. So in that scenario, yes, that I would end up with that spent compost, but otherwise I wouldn't really be generating a lot of used up potting mix when I am repotting. So I'm glad that I've managed to clear that one up for you, Ryan, but that still leaves you with the potting mix that is in the dead plants. And Ryan was wondering whether this would be okay to put in his tumbler composter. And The answer, generally speaking, is yes, it would be fine. The only time I would have any doubts about this would be if you had a plant that was incredibly spiny uh, like a cactus and it's dead and it's going into the tumbler. Uh, Depending on how hands on you, you get, you might want to avoid that going into a compost bin. The other reason might be if there's a pest such as vine weevil in that root ball and you just, that's probably something which you might want to put into a green waste bin, uh, or a commercial green waste collection of some kind rather than into your own compost heap. But most other pets like aphids and white fly will be killed off in an average compost heap. They just won't survive. So it's fine to put plants killed by those kind of pests and the associated potting mix that's still attached to the plant. Can you reuse this potting mix on your houseplants? Well, there's a lot of talk about microwaving or putting soil into the oven to totally kill off any uh, bugs that might be in there. This is a bit of a scorched earth approach. You know, you're killing off good and bad bugs by doing that so I would generally not recommend that unless you were possibly wanting to make up some seed sowing potting mix which is best off being completely sterile if you are 100% sure that your plant has not died from a pest or a disease then yes you can go ahead and reuse the potting mix that it was planted in. If you want to be on the safe side, the compost heap is the way to go but if you are sure that maybe you overwatered your plant and that was what sent it packing then yes you can reuse the potting mix. You need to revitalise it though make sure that it is well aerated and ideally that you add some nutrients back in from the beginning so you'll need to f- start feeding your plant immediately if it's planted in something that's already had most of the nutrients taken out of it. You might want to add some perlite uh, if it's a m- more free draining mix you're looking for or possibly some Uh, vermiculite for certain plants that like more moisture around the roots. And I probably wouldn't use spent compost as a 100% of your potting mix. I'd I'd add in some new houseplant compost and maybe cut it 50-50 just to make sure that the plant gets uh, the best possible start in life. The absolute worst thing that can happen to your spent potting mix is it just ends up going into the regular bin and off to landfill because that really is a terrible waste. So if you don't have your own garden or compost heap to place your plants in, then maybe seek out a community composting scheme or a friend or relative with a garden who is happy for you to chuck that spent potting soil onto their beds because it will act as a a great soil improver and mulch and will at least then go back into the garden system rather than a landfill. I know that for people without gardens storage and transport of potting mixes is a real headache and one that you do really struggle with so do let me know if you've got any cunning ways of dealing with this issue. And the next question comes from Izzy who got in touch on Instagram where I'm j.l.perone to ask how do I know when chilies are ready to pick? Well it just so happens Izzy that I need to check on my own chilli plant so let's go and take a look and see if we can answer your question. I've come outside onto my patio to take a look at my chilli pepper Over the years, I've grown loads of different chili varieties. Some years I grow tons of the things. This year I've only grown just one because guess what? I'm a little bit obsessed with other plants at the moment and the on the ledge sew along. So I haven't grown as many chilies as I normally would. I've just got this one plant which came as a seedling from William, a friend of mine who is from Central America. So he knows what he's doing when it comes to chilies and this is a jalapeno so right now all the fruits on it are a lovely bright glossy green color and i've already started picking some of these chilies because they're delicious green and absolutely fine to eat then so the answer to the question really is whenever you like as soon as your chilies have reached a size and the dimensions that you think you can make use of them in the kitchen do feel free to start picking them as the fruit develops and changes color to become red it will get hotter and the flavor will change but that doesn't mean the flavor when it's green is no good. Now looking at these jalapenos here I think that probably to get these to actually fully ripen I'm going to need to bring this pot indoors because over here in the UK the temperature is starting to dip, dip into single figures at night now so I'm going to bring this plant into my sunroom which will mean that at night it gets uh, not too chilly and that will encourage the chilies to start their, or rather finish their ripening process. There are a couple of random flowers that have emerged on the plant. I'm going to take these off because they are never going to produce uh, ripe fruits. There's just not enough time in the year. So I've taken those off, and that will allow the plant to put all its energies into the fruits. It is worth saying that many chili plants will overwinter indoors and then can be brought on to produce another harvest the following year. There's a special kind of chilli called the tree chilli, which is ideal for this because it is grown specifically to be a perennial plant. And I had these for a few years until they got so big that I didn't have anywhere to overwinter them. They literally had become trees. But it's definitely worth trying overwintering your chilies indoors if you have the room. And that way you'll get a much earlier harvest the next year. So I would say harvest your chilies when you fancy it and try them at different stages to see when you like the flavour because different types of chilies will serve different recipes. But in the same way, different ripenesses of the same species will work in different recipes too. But I'm pretty pleased with the harvest on this plant. It's got a good few, about 15, 20 chilies on here, all at different stages of development. And as I say, I'm already enjoying them. If you can't bring your chili plant indoors or for some reason they just don't ripen properly then what you can do is take the, all of them off and string them onto a ristra which is basically turning your chilies into a chili string and you just get a big needle like one that you might use for um, tapestry and you thread that through with a piece of thread cotton thread and then you just pierce the top of each chili and make a beautiful ristra i'll post a picture on my show notes to show you how this looks. But that's a great way of hanging up chilies to dry. But my favourite way of storing chilies is actually freezing them. They freeze really well whole or chopped up and then when you want to use them you can just take them out and use them. And it's a really great way to make sure that your chili harvest doesn't go to waste. Right, uh there's a rather delicious looking tomato growing next to the chili, uh, for a, for a wonderful variety called Bloody Butcher, and it's just calling for me to eat it. So I'm off to eat a tomato now, but I hope that chili advice has helped. Well, I can report that my Bloody Butcher tomato was absolutely delicious. One other thing I forgot to mention in the excitement about the tomato is a way of getting your chilies to ripen further once they're off the plant. And if you get a paper bag and pop the chilies into it along with a banana, close up the bag gently and you'll find that the ethylene gas released by the banana will help to ripen your chilies gradually and bring on that beautiful red colour if that's what you're after. Looking at the picture that Izzy sent, I can see she's got lots of chilies forming but also lots of flowers. Assuming you're not using any additional light for this plant over the coming months, I would advise taking off all those flowers and allowing the plant to put all its energies into those fruits. But maybe if you stuck a grow light over it, then possibly you could keep it going for that bit longer and encourage those flowers to actually form new fruits bear in mind that if the flowers have formed inside they won't have been pollinated so you'll need to get a little tiny paintbrush and just move that from one flower to another flower rubbing in against the central area of the flower where the pollen is to make sure that your flowers are pollinated and will therefore form fruits it's kind of fun actually so that's worth knowing about if you are growing indoor chilies and want to make sure you get some nice juicy fruits out of them I'll be back with more answers to your questions after this short ad break. On the Ledge podcast is proud to be supported this week by the Joy of Plants. If you're looking for houseplant information, inspiration, and care tips, look no further than the Joy of Plants. Whether you want to learn about three key houseplant styling trends for 2019, meet planty people from all over the globe. Or have a go at plant-based craft projects to help green up your home. The Joy of Plants is the place to be. You'll find The Joy of Plants on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest and on their website, thejoyofplants.co.uk. And the next question comes from Ellie C and her cat Marie. What a great Instagram handle that is. Ellie got in touch about her Pilea peperomioides, which she says is growing and branching in a way she hasn't seen before. Instead of a single stalk growing straight upwards and new growth only at the top, the center stalk has branches and new leaves growing the whole length of the main stem, making for a fuller, bushier plant. I had to buy it, but I don't know anything about it or why it's growing this way. I think this is a rather nice problem to have because, well, it depends on your aesthetics, but I rather like the fact that this pilea is bushing out rather than making one rather more spindly stem. I know they're very popular on Instagram, but they're not my favourites when when pileas get really, really tall. My first thought was that the the growing point of the plant has been damaged and therefore that has stopped it growing straight up and encouraged lots of branching. That seems to me to be the most obvious explanation of what's going on. It is producing a lot of babies and what you'll find with Pilea peperomioides is that young plants will just sit there and grow nicely but won't produce any babies and then suddenly It's like a switch has been flicked and the plant will start absolutely being, well, how can I describe it, fecund in the extreme, producing lots and lots of babies from all over the pot. I mean, I wouldn't worry about this overly. It's just a plant that's very happy and producing lots of babies. It is curious as to wonder why, as I say, I think the most likely explanation is some kind of damage that's forced it to bush out at this stage because it's not that tall, if anyone else has got any theories about what's going on here, then I'd love to hear them. I am on more social media platforms than perhaps is good for my overall health, but you can find me on Facebook, on the ledge pod, at Instagram, j.l.perone, and on Twitter as jane.perone. And however you get in touch, I'd love to hear from you. Up next is Maya, who got in touch to say that she has a curious issue with a tricolour maranta it's grown a leaf that looks just like the lemon lime ones and she's asking has this ever happened with yours do you know if it's something that happens sometimes like other plants leaf variegation changing well this is a really great question the first thing I asked Maya was whether this plant that has produced the lemon lime looking leaf is actually the same plant as the rest in the pot the reason I asked that is that oftentimes particularly with things like maranta group plants the calatheas and the tenanthes, and indeed the marantas oftentimes young seedlings are placed packed together in one single pot so you've actually got separate plants packed together to make a more bushy effect and it did occur to me that one of those might be a lemon and lime maranta that's been packed in there along with the red ribbed ones Maya assures me that's not the case. And she sent me a picture to illustrate the point, which I'll put in the show notes. So what's the explanation? Maya has theories that it's something to do with nutrients, the fact that she hasn't actually fed this plant for a long time, uh, or that it's something to do with light. Now, I have brought my Marantas out to the studio to have a look at in reference to answering this question because i've got a small lemon lime maranta and a, the normal red rib type as well uh, let me put them down in front of me so i can actually look at them properly these plants the leaves are very very variable i find some of them do come out and have very red pronounced veins and some less so and when i look at the young leaves of the lemon lime They don't develop that strong rib until they get a bit older. And if you look at the very young leaves, they almost look like the plain old rabbit track maranta that uh, you may well recognise with just the dark green splodges. But as the leaf matures, those ribs develop and deepen in colour when I look at the red rib version, that doesn't seem to be quite the same. The red ribs are there from the beginning, but I do notice on my plant that some are more intense than others. So what's the solution? I would definitely start fertilizing your plant, Maya, because whether or not it's affecting the rib color, eventually lack of nutrients will start to impact on your plant. Unless, of course, you're repotting it every six months, in which case you are feeding it via new potting mix, which will come with nutrients contained. But assuming that's not the case, Do start applying a weak dose of houseplant feed around now until I'd say the end of October and then tail off for the more dormant period uh, of this plant's year because it doesn't really need to be fed when it's not growing so much and see if that makes any difference. But I don't have a great deal of faith in the theory that it's down to nutrients because looking at the rest of the plant, that looks perfectly healthy and is producing lots of lovely leaves. So I suspect that nutrients are not responsible. Could it be light? Well, I think this is a case of wait and see. If the plant starts producing lots of these pale ribbed leaves, then it might be a reason to review the situation of the plant and try it in a different light situation. It may be that the ribs are getting faded out by too much sunlight. But again, if that was happening, you'd be seeing that in more than one leaf. Back in episode 76, I answered a question about a philodendron pink princess. And in that episode, I talked about chimeral variegation, which is where there's different genetic material fighting for dominance in the same leaf. But maranta, the variegation of marantas is different. It's called natural variegation or pattern gene variegation. And that battle isn't going on in the plant in the same way as, as it does when there's chimeral variegation. What that means is that the plants come true from seed that means that you can sow the seed of these plants and it will come true as in it will look like the parent. So what you don't get in these plants is a huge variation from leaf to leaf in what the leaf looks like. Uh, Whereas if you've got a Thai constellation, say every leaf will look different. When you've got a maranta, every leaf will look the same having said that. But even then, you still get the occasional odd leaf that just doesn't conform. And unless this plant starts producing every leaf the same, I wouldn't be overly concerned. It's just an interesting curiosity that may have been caused by a genetic blip that that probably isn't going to go on and continue. But if you want to experiment, Maya, then I would just try moving this to different light intensities and see how the plant responds that said you know marantas aren't necessarily the easiest of plants so if as yours is looking so happy and jolly then maybe just accept what's going on and as long as the plant stays healthy just roll with it i mean maranta lemon limes are rather desirable (laughs) certainly over here in the uk where they're quite hard to get hold of so if your plant does turn that way then i guess that could be a good thing Morantas also came up in a question from Hannah, who says that she's recently bought The Houseplant Expert by Dr. David Hesseon on my recommendation. And she loves it. Excellent. That's great to hear. And the Maranta plant that she bought three weeks ago is now drooping more and more each day. She's tried to follow Dr. Hesseon's advice to the T. So she's been misting a couple of times a day, keeping the soil moist, keeping it out of direct sun. The temperature is 77 degrees Fahrenheit, 57% humidity. The Maranta is looking worse and worse every day, and I really don't know what's wrong. And I actually had a very, very similar query on Twitter addressed to me earlier this week. And this came from Stephanie, who's also suffering from a drooping Maranta. So what's the answer? Well, if you buy a Maranta and bring it home, Oftentimes the plant is completely in shock and it's probably planted in a potting mix that is suitable for a nursery where conditions are absolutely tip top and perfect and computer controlled. But when the plant gets back into your house, well, things are less than ideal. And even if you're doing everything you think you should, probably the conditions that you can offer mean that the potting mix that it's in is not right for your conditions, even though it was right for the conditions they were growing in in the nursery. In other words, when you're growing a plant like this at home, it's a really good idea to check that potting mix when you first get it home. In fact, this one I've got here has not been repotted since I bought it and it desperately needs it because the potting mix is like a sponge. It's very it's very moisture retentive rather than the more free draining mix. I would pot it into. I'm putting I'm putting potting mix all over my keyboard at the minute. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so this plant that I've got desperately needs repotting, and I think that's part of the reason why it's had spider mite because it's been weakened um, by non ideal conditions. So what I would say in both these situations is check that pot and the root ball, and ideally knock away all the potting mix from around the root ball uh, and from the root ball as much as you can and repot in a free draining potting mix that allows water to drain your rain more quickly, which means that the the roots won't be getting soaked. And this drooping effect is probably due to too much water around the roots. That said, it can be other things. Cold drafts, if the plant's been exposed to, to cold drafts, either on the way home or in your own home, that can also put it into shock. The plant doesn't know whether it's coming or going and you get this drooping effect I'd say check the root ball, make sure that's okay, then continue with everything you're doing beyond that and hope that the plant responds well. It can take a couple of months for a plant to really settle into your condition, so don't give up hope, but don't allow a situation where the plant is too moist to continue for long, because particularly at this time of year, what's happening is growth is slowing down. And so the amount you were watering two months ago when it was hot summer won't be ideal now as the temperature drops and the plant's metabolism just slows down. It's not, the engine of the plant is slowing down. And so it needs less supply, so It needs less water uh, to, to go along its daily business. So you need to think about tailing off the watering a bit. And as I say, making sure that potting mix around the root ball is not making it too claggy and producing this effect of wilting the leaves because, as I've said before on the show, wilting leaves can be a consequence of too much watering as well as too little. The other reason why Maranta's droop is sp- spider mites. And this is worth checking for anytime your plants show any kind of signs of distress. Check for spider mites. I've mentioned before in the show about getting a hand lens, get your hand lens I'll use the zoom function on your smartphone to have a really close look at the leaves. Down the central rib at the back of the leaf is the place to look for these little tiny creatures wandering about. Or just about visible to the eye is the white grainy stuff that is the sign of spider mites in the form of the eggs and the shed skins. If you want to know more about spider mites, do go back and listen to my spider mites episode, which I will link to in the show notes. I hope your maranta is looking good Again soon, Hannah, and that's proven helpful. And remember, if you've got a question for On the Ledge, drop me a line. On the Ledge podcast at gmail.com is the best place to send your inquiry. And the more information you give me, the more I can help. So, photographs up close from a distance pictures of the pot telling me whether it's it's in a plastic or terracotta pot, where you live in the world, how long you've had the plant for. All of that information can help me diagnose the problem. Otherwise, it just turns into me uh, having to fire back loads more questions at you to try to help. And now I have a question from Jennifer, who has moved from northern Michigan to outside New Orleans, Louisiana. Well, hey, y'all. Do you have any suggestions for plants that can handle air conditioning? This is an apposite question, Jennifer. Having lived in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, I know that uh, air conditioning is pretty vital for certainly a few months of the year when it gets dastardly hot. Plants that can handle air conditioning. Well, I remember that the air conditioning is pretty fierce in Louisiana. It, you're either freezing cold and it turns you absolutely like an ice block and then you go outside And it's like being in a sauna. There's no happy medium for those couple of months of the year. Where the weather is, how can I describe it? Well, soupy is the best I can say. So plants that can handle air conditioning. So things that will survive in cold drafts really is what we're looking for. Well, one plant that I think would be ideal in this kind of environment and I think would grow very well is called Sparmania. Sparmania africana to be precise and this is also known as African hemp Uh, it's got a few uh, I think it's also known as the house lime plant as well confusing because obviously lime there's so many plants with the name lime in it that may or may not be a lime. Sparmania africana is a big old house plant it can get you know fiddle leaf fig proportions quite easily and I remember seeing this in a country house in the UK and it was sitting in a drafty window and I thought aha a plant that survives in drafts this is useful to know and if you give it the right conditions this plant will absolutely romp away it's a fast grower Like I say, an avocado, you can pinch out the top of the plant if you want it to be more bushy or you can just let it grow straight up. In fact, actually, an avocado would be another good choice for this kind of environment. I think it would do okay, provided it wasn't right under the vent of the air conditioning. I think an avocado plant would be tough enough to survive in these conditions. Um, Both need a brightly lit spot, not direct sun. And one of the bonuses of the African hemp is that it does flower. So around late spring, early summer, it produces clusters of white flowers with a beautiful central boss of yellowy orange stamens. It looks a bit like Mexican orange, a sort of Mexican orange blossom on steroids, or maybe there's also a bit of a touch of the Japanese anemone about it too. And they're definitely a talking point. The leaves are kind of boring, but uh, they're just big round sort of hairy, softly hairy leaves. But the beauty of this plant is that it grows really fast. You get a big plant in a short amount of time and it's easy to root some cuttings from the stem. If you decide that your plant has become too leggy and you want to start some new cuttings, that's the easiest way to do it. So Sparmania africana, Persea americana, the avocado would be one of my other suggestions. If you've got a super sunny windowsill, the jade plant Crassula ovata is pretty much unkillable. I don't think it'll be bothered by cool air coming onto it, but just make sure that you're not overwatering it and it's in really, really gritty compost so that water runs through that that's going to be the thing that kills it. And then we're on to our old favourites like Zamiococcus Samifolia, the double Z plant. Not going to be bothered by a bit of cold air, it'll be absolutely fine. And of course, the cast iron plant, Aspidistra elatior, will be great too. It's all really down to where you're positioning the plants within your air-conditioned home. The, the more sensitive the plant, the further from the aircon vent you should be putting it, bearing in mind its light requirements. If you heard my episode on the strawberry saxifrage, that's another plant to consider. It's tough as old boots and we find in very cool temperatures. So that's another one that I recommend. I'm looking across at my tricolour saxifrage, which is absolutely glowing, beautiful pink neon. Oh, it's the most beautiful plant. This plant can survive outside down to freezing temperatures, so it'll be absolutely fine with a bit of air con. up this q and a special don't despair if i haven't answered your question i answer a question in most episodes of the show so keep listening and yours should come up and if you don't get a reply from me do send a nudge i do get a lot of emails and i will do my best to get back to you individually if i possibly can and don't forget you can use the search function on my website JanePerone.com, which will help you to track down advice for the plant that you're trying to deal with I'm off now to titivate my Tradescantias. I do hope you have a fabulous week. Bye. The music you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by The Joy Drops and Oh Mallory by Josh Woodward. The ad music was by The Heftone Banjo Orchestra with the tracks Whistling Rufus and Dill Pickles licensed under creative commons see janeperone.com for details mother's day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around a watch she can wear every day for movement whether mom's into classic dress watches rare and refined ceramics or tried and true bestsellers movement has something she'll love And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.